time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Hey everyone, Ray here. So this is part two of our interview with James Schoen about the history of Taiwan, where we are talking about Chen Yi, who is the one-time administrator of the island, Formosa, now Taiwan, for the Japanese. A few years later, you know, when they were at war with each other, and they were about to invade the city where he was living, they sent him a message ahead saying, look, we're about to invade, uh, get your family and get out. Oh, good guys. Thank you. So he was, and then of course he didn't warn anyone. He just got all of his assets and his family and, and buggered off. Was that and wrong? That, Should he have told somebody? Maybe. Yeah, he was. I, I guess the word would be Japanophile. He he loved Jap- ah. Japanese and their cultures. Gotcha. Of course, he wasn't above kicking them out of Taiwan and taking over. Mm-hmm. And he'd also been governor of Fujian Province for eight years. And the majority of the Chinese settlers who had moved to Taiwan were from there. So they thought, well, he's been there and he's familiar with Japanese and their way of ruling things. So he would be the ideal first governor when we take over Taiwan. Ah, But it sounds like the Taiwanese aren't going to be exactly too happy to have him as their leader after the Japanese leave. Well, people were, were expecting... This is Mm -hmm. the end of colonial rule. We're now going to either become independent or we're going to become a true province of of China. Right. But when they arrived, they weren't treated as a province. They were treated more like a conquered territory. Mm. Okay. Mm. In fact, a bit of a rundown on this. Let me see if I can find the start of where I had these notes. Oh, oh, Ray, I'm sorry, notes. Uh, Notes are like little jottings you take as you research. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I had to. I will make a trip halfway around the world. Whoop that ass. I can mm. I mean, you're not wrong. Take the piss out of me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, no. not, it's not micro-wrestling. No. There's no micro-wrestling in Taiwan, Ray. I don't think, oh, don't think no. it's, it's reached maybe, there yet. You might have to start I'll, there. So yes, can, I'll go there and start. I'll be the champion. I'll start off in the number one position. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you with my <laughs> life. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, as you've probably already done um, – on the 15th of August, 1945, Japan surrenders. And there are currently 150,000 troops, give or take, on Taiwan. Wow. So they go, right, well, it's the end. They're about to come. Uh, great. And they waited and waited, and no one showed up. So they set about cleaning up Taiwan, you know, oh, all the damage from the bombs. Let's clear up the streets and put the rubble away. And law and order held. It was remarkably peaceful you, you didn't have the population uprising going oh yes the japanese surrendered let's kill them all and they just yeah. went about their days i mean the, there were a few incidents of a few police being attacked and some killed mm-hmm. but it seems like those were personal grudges rather than gotcha. uprising right anyway it on the 1st of september a captured japanese warship that came over from xiamen in china arrived and with it, there were three Americans and two Chinese colonels. And they said, all right, we've come to assess the situation of the Allied prisoners here. 
and then proceeded to do dick all about it. Mm. And the Japanese were like, um, could you do your job? We want to go home. <laughs> right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. So they said, look, how about we, we, we give you access to some public funds to, to help cover your expenses to the tune of $200,000. And most that of that vanished money. within two days. Well, you give me $200,000 and you point out a brothel, and yes, it probably would be gone in a couple of days, but that's just me bragging. So the Japanese started going, something weird is going on here. And so they started investigating these people. The three Americans turned out to be from a Washington intelligence agency, and the two Chinese colonels were not colonels. They were members of Chiang Kai-shek's Bureau of Investigation and Statistics basically his internal security operation, which the Americans had fondly dubbed Shang's Gestapo. Uh, (laughs) Tells you about all you need to know them. (laughs) And they weren't there to do anything in terms of helping the Japanese surrender. They were there to look at the political situation and to to make lists. One of the Mm. lists was for anyone, any prominent person who'd been pushing for home rule on Taiwan, now that the Japanese were going. The second list was a list of who had become wealthy under the Japanese rule and therefore were aiding and abetting the Japanese because they would be perfect Mm -hmm. targets for when we take over. Mm -hmm. Anyway, four days later on the 5th uh, of September, an American flitter arrived and finally started actually freeing prisoners. Uh, Then on the 10th, a team from the Office of Strategic Services arrived from Western Mm. China to go hunt for communists, despite Mm. the fact that this had been a Japanese police station (laughs) with almost no communists, if any, to be had. (laughs) And then a a Chinese survey team did a brief stop on the 30th. And then finally, someone of importance arrived in October. On the 5th, one of of the Chinese generals, Ke Kingon, arrived in Taiwan. And he addressed mm-hmm. the people. He, he also was not authorized to accept their surrender, but he addressed the right. Taiwanese people. And he basically said, you are degraded people outside the realm of the pure Chinese civilization. Japan has corrupted you and, and you, it's going to take time to bring you back to who you need to be. Wow. That so, doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good, but the people sort of half overlooked it going, well, he can't be that serious. And, I mean, they were cheering for him when he arrived, and right. half that cheering was in Japanese. They were going, banzai, banzai, you know, because like, yay, we've got some Chinese people here. I could tell the Japanese to get out, even though we were right. cheering in Japanese. Oh, my God. All right, then on um, the 15th. Oh, sorry, yeah? Yes. No, no, go, go ahead, because mine's a more general question. It probably takes us to the next phase, so please go ahead. All right. Um, well, I've got two more dates here. On the 15th, a U.S. transport ship, or a group of ships arrived mm-hmm. with 12,000 Guomindang troops. Now, these wow. troops were mostly boys. They were quite young. They were illiterate. They were undisciplined oh, and probably just been recruited because they were pissing themselves. They hid on the ships and they're like, we're not going out there. It, it could be a Japanese trap. They might kill us as soon as we get off. Mm-hmm. We're only going to leave if the Americans... I need a stable of young men to come behind me. Come, come. I need a stable of young men to come behind me. Come, come, come. I need a ship of young boys. 
Never gets old. <laughs> There's your new clip. <laughs> yeah. So the American Sorry, troops marched out first, and then the Gormandung troops were brave enough to follow them out. Right. And they took possession of the island. And then under Douglas MacArthur's general order number one, authorization mm-hmm. was given, and Chen Yi arrived. And he was escorted there by George Kerr. He arrived on the 25th, and you know he'd been appointed governor by Chiang Kai-shek. And he arrived, and he accepted the Japanese surrender and did all the formal signing he had. And then in his acceptance speech of their surrender, he said, this act effectively returns Taiwan to Chinese sovereign rule. And he named it Taiwan Retrocession Day. Oh. And the allies were like, um, it's not quite how this works. The actual <laughs> handing over like that doesn't work until there's an official peace treaty that's been signed. That hasn't happened yet. You're just taking governorship for the moment. But right. he ignored them. And they didn't seem to press the issue. Gotcha. I have to ask, was there any was there any moments of confusion? Because as the treaty said back at the Cairo, I think it was the Cairo Declaration of 1943, mm-hmm. you have to return everything that you've taken. But now there's two Chinas. There's the official Chiang Kai-shek China, and then there's the unofficial communist China. So who do we, I guess the Americans are going to want to return it to Chiang Kai-shek because he's not a communist, uh, even though the Cold War hasn't flared up yet, there's no reason for the Americans to think well of the Chinese communists, and so they probably would want to give it to Chiang Kai-shek's people. Oh yeah, that, yes? that's the thing. They they couldn't. Yeah, because they're two Chinas. Who do I hand it? Over? Which political body do I hand it over to? And right. obviously, they didn't want to side with communists. I mean, they would much right. prefer to take the more fascist Kuomintang, the KMT, instead. <laughs> Of going. I mean, they're both left-wing, let's be honest, but right. fascists are the ones you can deal with more easily. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. the Kuomintang, Kuomintang were communists early on in their career, right? They were tightly aligned with the Soviet Union in the early 20s, um, sort of nationalists with a little bit of communist leanings uh, when they needed support. Yeah, well, to this day, Taiwan and China both hold up Sun Yat-sen as this grand figure. They both uh, admire him and love him, which is not something that you often hear about China and Taiwan, both loving the same thing. They usually are completely opposed on most things these days. Yeah. Right. But yeah, they... um, Sun Yat-sen, for for people who aren't familiar with Sun Yat-sen, he was the sort of the, the, the founder of the revolutionary movement, right, that both the CCP and the KMT came out of. Yeah, he, he um, along with a group of people, including Chiang Kai-shek, basically started this organization while in Japan to overthrow the Republic of China. Now, that's the Beiyuan government, the first Republic of China, which mm. came into being after the abdication of the last Qing emperor. Right. Mm. Were they not so happy the, with that current government? Why, why did they want to overthrow it? Well, the reason they wanted the Qing overthrown is because the, the Qing was kind of weak and it, it had gone through right. a lot of terrible times like losing Hong Kong. But also it was largely Manchurians uh, with a bit of Mongolians. Ah, That's, right. Manchuria had basically invaded, like Mongolia had back with the days of Genghis Khan, taken over China mm-hmm. and gone, hey, you guys are great. I'm going to become Chinese. 
you know, it's a bit like how Alexander <laughs> became more and more Eastern the further he went. Right. <laughs> right. And they were like, well, the majority of people are Hun ethnicity. We want a government that represents us. And the first mm. um, Republic of China, their flag was actually, it almost looked like a, um, a gay pride flag. It had five stripes going down it of different colors. And each one right. was meant to represent one of the major ethnicities. Oh, that's nice. But uh, apparently some people, either they just wanted power or they wanted a more Hun-dominant government. So they're like, well, no, no, we're going to get rid of this government and put our own in place. Yeah. So, so he's a hero to everybody. <clears throat> Sun Yat-sen yeah, is a he's a hero, hero to everybody. Me. And for a while he did manage to get the Gorman. Oh, he started the Gormandang and then he brought the communists online and he tried to get the two to work together for a while uh, until at yeah. some point Chiang Kai-shek murdered a whole lot of them and they, they went their opposite ways, obviously. Right. Yeah. They're picky. Yeah. And he died, he yeah. died 1925, Sun Yat-sen. So it's not like, I mean, yeah, he, he did, we, he did a lot of amazing things, but his time on this earth was limited like everybody else. And it was two years after that that Chiang Kai-shek um, murdered these people. However, at that same time, his right. one and only biological son was studying in, in Russia. Uh-oh. And I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. I'm here surrounded by all these communists studying in, <laughs> in a communist military place. And now you've just made yourself an enemy of these people. Good job. <laughs> thanks, Good Dad. Job. Well done. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't his favorite son. Let's be honest. He was like, you know what? I can. I have other sons. I, I, can, I can make more. Yeah. I, can I can do more. Yeah, I can lose Actually, a couple. Actually, no. From contracting venereal diseases from prostitutes oh. in Shanghai, Chiang Kai-shek became uh, basically sterile. Oh, oh we got to get checked out, Cam. So he Ray knows all about couldn't. that. <laughs> so he couldn't have any more children. Ugh. Well, this is it. Well, this is it. Okay. That's why I've. That's why I've. Well, my sperm frozen. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's cold enough I, I, here. My sperm is frozen while it's in my body. But go ahead. I know. Sorry. I, I I know. I said we live in the tangents on this show, but at some point <laughs> we need to get to Chen Yi. And <laughs> it is Israel. Chen Yi takes over as governor. Yeah, of you Taiwan. guys are hopeless. <laughs> I'm lucky I'm here to keep things on track. I tell you, that's what I've always said about our show. Someone's lucky, got to. Lucky I'm here to keep things on track. <laughs> Right, so taking over Taiwan, Chen Yi is meant to run it as a Chinese province. And part of that would be setting up a civilian administration to work with the military installation that's taken over from the Japanese and then to build up the country. Oh, sorry, the the province. Right. And he's like, no, no, I'm having none of this. Everything is being run by a military administration. I'm not even pretending to set up a civilian one. And I'm going to go around and systematically confiscate everything that was Japanese or the industries or the businesses or the assets or the properties. It's all mine and my little posse of group of um, leaders that I have with. Yeah. And of course the army looked at this and went, Hey, that's a great idea. (laughs) So they went to all the Japanese uh, military sites, right? Stripped them and then transported all the, all the supplies and weapons and everything back to the mainland to be sold on to make profit off of it. Wow. And the common soldiers, uh, I, I, it's pretty much a, an undisclosed secret that 
they were expected to live off plunder because they were so notoriously badly paid. They just began oh looting God. civilians' homes. Right. And now, yeah. I'm no expert, but if you're going to take over an island and bring it back into the fold, isn't it generally a good thing if the people don't hate you? Uh, it is. It, I mean, it is. I mean, this is obviously terrible mismanagement. This is not the way you do this. Right. But I think they just have the mentality of, well, they've been separated for 50 years. They no longer mm-hmm. the people. I mean, half of them speak Japanese. Half of the, um, what are they called? The, um, the, the local elite, like the, the leading right. businessmen and those kind of people, don't even speak Mandarin. They speak Japanese. Mm. I guess some of them. You can't blame them. Japanese. Right. And right. Chen Yi, despite being a Japanophile and loving Japan, refused to communicate with them in Japanese. He's like, you will huh. damn well speak Mandarin Chinese because that is now the, the, the language. You're, you're back in the fold. You will speak the right language. Right. And they're like, uh, we, we can't. <laughs> and either it just messed up communications or they had to have people constantly translating even though he could understand what they were saying in Japanese anyway. Ah, uh, yeah. it's a principle. Yeah. And then, of course, anyone who was seen to have been aiding and abetting the Japanese would get everything stolen from them. And any Taiwanese people who wanted to settle old scores would just go, hey, that guy over there, he, uh, he helped the Japanese. Right. And the troops would just go in and take everything from them. Yeah. But, but there are these weird stories of the soldiers who go and raid places – being absolutely thick and uneducated because they would go and steal right. a bicycle and then they would carry it away because they had no idea what the hell it was. <laughs> Sorry. So these are the kinds of, of people we're dealing with. Right. But they had guns. So <laughs> they had yeah, guns. Yeah. Yeah. But oh of God. course, all of this pilfering, he then got his own people to run all these industries and half of them failed because the people had no idea what they were doing. Right. And they went, well, that's fine. We'll just sell off all the equipment back to China. Oh, my God. So if we we can't get the industry running, let's just sell everything off. And, of course, this rampant corruption led to higher unemployment. Uh, It led to widespread disease because half the the medicines had been sold back to the continent. So for the first time in ages, because the health programs also fell apart, bubonic plague was back and cholera was endemic and malaria reappeared because they – didn't have the medicine to to get rid of it. Right. It, it was all in China now, in the mainland. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Agriculture and I read the, collapsed. The, the, people that, the people there at the time didn't want to take any of the medicines anyway because they were convinced that Bill Gates had put chips <laughs> in all of the medicines <laughs> and he was going to upload Windows into their brains or something. So Yeah, Windows Vista, I mean... That's punishment right there, my friend. Wow, that's taking me back. Windows Vista. (laughs) Holy shit. God, that was crap. So, Uh, it wasn't as bad as Windows 7. The the price index from 1945, the end of to the start of 1947, just spiraled out of control. And then, you know, huge inflation and stuff. Jeez. And then these were compounded. Now, a province of China is meant to have elections. In 1947, he delayed those elections till 1949. Mm. Like, ah, oh, no, he's going to delay them again. And it was like, but but we have a Chinese constitution now that we're part right. of China. Sh- shouldn't 
what are you doing? Right. And one of the biggest things that happened was the seizure of land and property. So 50 years ago, or during those 50 years, Japan confiscated huge amounts of land. Now, Chen's government takes them all back, but doesn't give them back to the original owners. He's like, these are all mine now. Right. And he slowly passes them out to very wealthy individuals who are connected to the government so he can trust them. Mm. And in, in a lot of ways, I mean, this is part of the, the Land Reform Act that they do as well. A lot of the farmland then gets sold off in special lots, which in some ways is actually an improvement. I'll get to that later. But the urban area, the urban land, the huge I – mean, most, most people, when they buy a house, they don't actually own the land the house is on especially if you're in a city or a town. Mm. You only own the building. It's a bit like how the World mm. Trade Center, the government built the building, but I think the land was owned by the Trump family or it's one I'm of the sure. big families. Okay. It was owned by an, an, no, an Australian family, actually. Oh. All right, yeah. but yeah, the, the land wasn't owned by the people who had the buildings. It was sort gotcha. of rented or leased. And that still exists in Taiwan today. Most... Uh, the, the amount of the number of people who own land itself is a very small group, and a large mm. percentage of them are Guomindang. Mm. Now, of course, the government also set up monopolies. We are the only ones who are allowed to sell, you know, X, Y, and Z. No one else is allowed to touch those things. And any industries that we like the look of, we'll just confiscate and make it. In fact, there was a wow. there was a newspaper in. in I've written down here Shanghai, but I'm sure it's actually Singapore. Anyway, there's a newspaper called uh, Wenhua Bao, and Bao comes from Baoji, which is their name for newspaper. So in English, usually Wenhui Bao is translated as Wenhui Daily. And it, the, the quote from it was, Chen ran everything from the hotel to the night soil business. You know, basically just, I'm taking it all. It's all mine. Right. I heard he... I think I've read something that he uh, nationalized about 17% of the GNP. So, yeah, so between that and taking land and selling stuff back to the main island, and I mean, the people are hurting, um, but Chen Yi is doing fine. Ah, and I guess he's supposed to be setting things up for Chiang Kai-shek. Well, Chen Yi was doing fine, and he was building up more and more troops on the island. Right. I think at, at his height, he had about 48,000. Mm -hmm. But the wow. Civil War had resumed. So then he kept losing troops back to the mainland to keep fighting. Oh, right. So by the time things really got dicey, he only had 11,000 left. And then, of course, we come to uh, a, a few silly things that he tried to do. Like he tried to say, all right, um, all young males, there's going to be mandatory enlistment in the army. Mm. And everyone went nuts about it. And he's like, okay, okay, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> take it back. But – there was a lot of people, you know, who were criticizing the administration. So anyone mm -hmm. like that, and especially journalists, by the mid nineteen forty six, the mid nineteen by mid nineteen forty six, lots mm -hmm. of those people were being uh, harassed and uh, put in detention and uh, frightened, and you know, into shutting up. Uh, right. The administration had full control of the monopolies by then, which was fraught with corruption, maladministration. Things were definitely not going well. And the economy was just collapsing. And wow. so <clears throat> everyone, <coughs> sorry, 
everyone was ready for something to break. They they were just, you know, like they say before World War One, you know, it was a boiling pot. It was, you know, it was just waiting for it was a tinderbox right. waiting for a spark. Yes. So on February twenty seventh, a widow by the name of Lin Chiang Mai was in one of the parks selling cigarettes. Okay. And six men from the Monopoly Commission, that's the actual name, approached her and were like, hey, you're selling contraband. You're not allowed to do that. So they tried to grab her and her money. She resisted. They hit her on the head with the butt of a pistol. She collapsed, called out for help. An angry mob gathered, and the six men were like, oh, what do we do? So they fired into the crowd to get them to disperse so they could run. And they killed one man in that. Now, again, here's where reports vary. I've been reading a a book that covers this called Forbidden Nation, a history of Taiwan by Jonathan Manthorpe. He's a a columnist and a, a journalist from Canada. And here he says that the widow was just hit, but that she didn't die. Mm-hmm. I'll just check up extra information on Wikipedia to see if they had any insights on this that I hadn't seen. And there they say she died. Right. And that doesn't actually fit with what happens later. Mm. So I'm confused. I think someone messed up there. Anyway, right. the next day, February 28th, which is now known in history as 228, the 228 incident mm. or the 228 massacre. This is, this is 1947, right? 1947, yes. A large group went to the Monopoly Commission. They're like, we're going to protest this and we're going to demand that these men be prosecuted. Yeah. Realizing that these people were coming, they barred and locked the gates. Mm. So they couldn't get in. So they're like, all right, we'll just go to Chen Yi's office and we'll demand that he does something about it. Right. And when they arrived there, the army was ready and started firing at them. Oh, my God. Like, no, no, get out of here. You're not talking. So two more people were killed. And Mm -hmm. this quickly spread to an uprising all across the city, which because of that, Chen Yi declared martial law that evening. And within two days, that uprising covered the entire island. Wow. Now, again, we have to remember that a lot of the soldiers Chen had weren't, I mean, a few years ago, they were just boys. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really ever been in any battles. They've just been terrorizing locals. But they're still mm-hmm. terrified. So they went driving around in armored vehicles and just firing out of the vehicles at anyone they saw on the street. Oh, my God. And so we have the breakdown of March. March was a crazy time. So a group got together. These are some of the leaders of society. They formed a council, the Taiwan Provisional People's Political Council. I love it. Some of these names are incredibly long. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, we are going to then make demands on Chen Yi to fix things. So they asked for martial law to be lifted. And Chen said, yeah, yeah, I'll... I'll remove martial law later on, probably on the the 10th or something. Right. Now, Chen Yi knew he couldn't resist the entire entire island. He didn't have Mm -hmm. people. So he's like, okay, I've I've got to do something. So he tries to send out messages to China to say, please send more troops. And while doing that, he had to like play for time. Right. On the 2nd, because uh, he, he was making a number of broadcasts saying, hey, relax, calm down, don't panic, stay in your homes, you know, don't do anything stupid. And right. there was blood in the streets while he was doing these broadcasts. 
On the second, he broadcast a thing saying, yes, yes, we are, we're sorry about the events that happened. Uh, compensation will be paid to Widow Lynn. Don't worry. And, you know, be nice compensation, which is, again, a reason why I don't think she died. You can't pay money to a dead person. Right. Unless they were just trying to subvert the narrative and make it seem like she was still alive, which is also possible, I guess. Mm. <clears throat> While he was making this uh, broadcast, uh, was one of the bloodiest clashes was was currently happening uh, during that week. Then on the seventh, now again here Wikipedia goes off and says it was on the tenth, which doesn't right. make sense. But anyway, on the seventh, the council approached him and gave him the list of demands, and these d- demanded all sorts of things, but primarily it was we want local representation in the administration. We don't want this. Basically, military dictatorship you've set up. We want a proper to run as a proper Chinese province. And Chen Yi was outraged, and he rejected the whole thing. Mm. Now, and rather than them saying, "No, you must do this, or the violence will continue," maybe they couldn't say that because they're in his offices and surrounded by soldiers. They thought, "Well, if we go away and rework this, maybe we can get him to agree to it." So they went off and started trying to rework it, but the next day. Thirteen thousand troops arrived from China. Ten thousand in the north, three thousand in Kaohsiung in the south. And now we have to decide if we blame Chen for this, or those those troops commanding officers. But they just began a campaign of indiscriminate shooting, raping, stabbing with bayonets, and just terrorizing. Oh my God! Yeah, now then, to try and cover up what he's done. On the 10th, Chen has a nice radio announcement. And I've got, a, I've, I've got a quote here. I've got a quote that's been translated, obviously. Unexpectedly, since its formation, the committee, the one trying to settle the, the incident, has given no thought to relief work such as medical care for the wounded and compensation to the killed and so forth. On the contrary, it acted beyond providence and on March 7th went so far as to announce a settlement outline containing rebellious elements. Therefore, this committee should be abolished. Now, there were wow. no rebellious elements. They, they wanted what the Chinese constitution would give them, the rights of a right. province. But he's like, all right, I've got the power now. I can do whatever I want. And then by the 13th, most resistance had ended. All the cities and towns were back under control. There was still some fighting in the more mountainous regions, which continued for a few more days. But by the 13th, mm-hmm. he had control of the island again. And then he's like, okay, now's the time to get rid of dissidents. Anyone right. who uh, is a, a leader in society, anyone who's well-educated. So he went around and arrested well, his troops arrested a thousand middle school students. So this is like early teenage years. And then just right. arbitrarily had a hundred of them executed. Uh, newspaper editors, lawyers, leading businessmen, and members from those committees were rounded up and oftentimes tortured and mutilated before being killed. And then their bodies left out in the streets. Jesus. I had read so, that somewhere between eighteen and thirty thousand people were killed. Is that does that sound right to you? Well, here's the thing: the official mm-hmm. record says twenty eight thousand. 
But those are the records coming from the Gormandung. Now, would they put forth a number to boast and make it bigger than it should be, or would they try and diminish the death that they'd caused? Did they want a higher number to scare the population, or did they want a lower number to be better on the world stage? We don't know. We've only got their statistics to go with. Mm. Okay. Mm. Now, could I could I just say so? All this is horrible. Don't get me wrong; it's horrible, it's despicable. But at the same time, as far as I know, on the mainland, there's the actual civil war going on. So there's so maybe Chen Yi was just seeing this in a military context versus um, a civilian or political one. He was just trying to calm everything down because we still, you know, still need the industry and the resources and everything that Taiwan can offer to help during the civil war. Uh, is my guess. Yeah, I mean, again, these things are open to interpretation. We've only got the records that we have to look at and then have to interpret Mm -hmm. them as we understand. I mean, at the end of that month, well, mid-month, on the 22nd, he was recalled to China and replaced as governor. And then Mm. after he was recalled, a few Americans started to speak out. Uh, The following month in April... The U.S. ambassador to China, John Layton Stewart, wrote a very critical account of Chen's style of government and presented this to Chiang Kai-shek. And he was like, I don't know anything about what's going on. Why are you telling me? And then later in August, Lieutenant General Mm -hmm. Albert, now a German or Dutch surname, actually, Wedermeyer, I know depending on how long his family had been in America, maybe it's anglicized to Wedemeyer. He was the commander of the U.S. forces in Asia. He wrote to the U.S. Secretary of State, and he's like, uh, Chen Yi and his henchmen ruthlessly, corruptly, and avariciously imposed their regime upon a happy and amenable population. The army conducted themselves as conquerors. Secret police operated freely and inti- uh, to intimidate and facilitate exploitation by central government officials. Wow. He then also suggested something, which is, is a possible future that Taiwan could have had, but didn't. He mm-hmm. said, there were indications that Formosans would be receptive towards United States guardianship and United Nations trusteeship. They fear that the central Mm. government contemplates bleeding their island to support the tottering and corrupt Nanjing regime, as the Kuomintang group, and I think their fears are well-founded. So he posed this idea of, well, the Kuomintang are still on the mainland fighting their civil war. Let's take Taiwan away from them and put it in the hands of the UN for now. Mm. That that got the US thinking, because if the Kuomintang lose the war, they could lose Taiwan to communist China, and that's something that America obviously doesn't want. They want right. their own control in the region, and they, like with Japan and North Korea, they want to surround the communist countries. Probably mm. why they get involved in the Vietnam War later as well. So they started putting this idea forth. So uh, Chen Yi is uh, removed, replaced... I read that a year later, June 48, he was appointed chairman of the Zhejiang province but gets dismissed from that job, gets arrested when 
he basically can see the writing on the wall in the Civil War, realises that the CCP are going to win and supposedly had plans to switch sides, go over Absolutely. to the CCP. Chang found out about it and had him <laughs> arrested. He gets sentenced to death and executed in 1950. Yeah, so, yeah, he became the provincial chairman or governor of Zhejiang province, which is where he and Shang grew up. I think Shang had to recall him from from Taiwan because, okay, right. the world has seen what you've done. I have to make it look like you're being reprimanded. But now I'm going to promote you to a more important province because I like what you did. <laughs> oh, my God. And, yeah, yeah, he sees oh. the writing on the wall. He's like, okay, I've got to get out of here. He has yeah. 100 communist prisoners who are scheduled for execution just released in November that year. Oh, and then he tries to approach the garrison military commander, Tang Embo. And he speaks to Tang and he says, look, things are going pear-shaped. It's all going tits up. Let's work together. You, with me, let's surrender to the communists and join their side. Mm. And Tang, you know, quickly speed-dialed Chiang Kai-shek. I'm like, well, you never believe what this idiot's doing. <laughs> so that's why Chiang Kai-shek arrested him and then actually sent him to be imprisoned on Taiwan where he was executed the following year. And when people on Taiwan found out he'd been executed, they just spontaneously had a day of celebration. <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame them. You cannot no, blame them. You, you really can't. Yeah. But Shang Kai-shek could also see that he was going to lose. And he's like, okay, right. okay, I see that we're going to lose the mainland. So... He sends standing orders, I think it's 1948, to Taiwan to say, stop exporting supplies from Taiwan to China. Keep them on Taiwan. And he sends orders to start rebuilding the infrastructure. He's like, I've got to take back this place because I've got to build it into my new fort. Oh. And before we get yeah, yeah. Before yeah. we get too far into that story, I want to just go back to something you mentioned. <clears throat> uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago. You talked about the Americans um, sort of starting to ramp up this idea that maybe they should run Taiwan. It'd be in everyone's best interest, you know. Which is, which is, like the good guys, not the good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we did with Singapore and Hawaii and Puerto Rico. (laughs) We'll we'll take it over. Um, I dug up an article from the sixth of December, nineteen forty-eight, by Harold Ikes who had been the Secretary of the Interior for about 13 years just prior to this, from 33 to 46, was responsible for implementing a lot of Roosevelt's New Deal, mm-hmm. ran the Public Works Administration and, and, and the environmental efforts and that kind of stuff that was part of the New Deal. Anyway, he wrote an article about Taiwan where he said – there was supposedly this public opinion poll held in Taiwan in 1946 that suggested that people there would prefer living under US rule. Then second preference would be Japanese and then third preference Chinese. But he said, Mm. but I've got contacts on the island, American contacts, who tell me that the poll was only of 300 elites and that it was rigged. (laughs) Like the uh, 2020 US election, and <laughs> and the US media ran with it like it was yeah, a legit did. survey of the people. 
He pointed out that the island... Yes, exactly. He pointed out that the island was one of the most important economic and security outposts for Japan during the decades that they controlled it and that the US now wanted to control it. He wrote, The order of preference, according to my American informant, is in fact first Chinese rule, then Japanese, and third place American. The Mm. idea state, according to the same source, is a purely synthetic figurine fashioned by American big brass and big money, aided and abetted by wealthy Chinese who were collaborators with the warlords of Japan who hoped to wrest from China this rich land for commercial exploitation and for use as a military base. Now, I, I found that fascinating because, A, He's an American saying this. B, former Secretary of the Interior saying this. C, he's a fucking Democrat saying this while Truman <laughs> is uh, in power. Um, he's uh, basically saying, yeah, this is all bullshit and uh, we're just trying to take over the island so we can use it as a economic and military base. Um, so there you go. That was his view in nine, at the end of 1948. Well, those plans get put into effect in 1949. An iron curtain has descended across the continent.